prices are rising very fast. And, and, and if you've noticed that it looks a lot like the, the price chart did uh, 10 to 15 years ago, then you'd be absolutely right. Uh, but you got to dig a little deeper into why that's happening. Prices don't always rise for the same reasons. And so this time, uh, we have a lot of things that are different that are resulting in the same result, prices rising quickly, but have different causes. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 291 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. It's how we continue to grow this little corner of the universe. And I'm very excited today. I am live. It's amazing what you can do with sound effects. Uh, I... We're live at the Florida Realtors Convention at the RE Bar Camp uh, here 2021 in Orlando. It's very exciting. And Lisa Walker asked if we could kind of do a live podcast episode. I'm thrilled to do this. And my guest is Dr. Brad O'Connor, the chief economist. Uh, Brad, how you doing? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. And so I'm not going to like read a bio for you because in my podcast, the bio comes out in the first few questions. I'm going to ask you some questions about your life. Are you cool with that? I suppose we can okay. do this. <laughs> so when I always do a little research and I looked on LinkedIn and I saw that uh, you are from the Ohio State. You are a Buckeye. You I.O. There he is. It's official. He's actually O-H-I-O. Um, how about, first of all, let's start. Did you grow up in Ohio? Is that? I did. I did. I, I'm from Dayton. Okay. Beautiful, lovely town about an hour north of Cincinnati. Okay. So. Uh, Flyers country. I know that. Dayton Flyers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My, my dad worked out there at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Anyone who's in the service would be familiar with, with that base. It's a huge one. And he was an aerospace engineer there for over 40 years. And, wow. And nice. my mom uh, was a registered nurse, although she'd retired by the time uh, I was born to Keep me and my brother in line. All so. right. So I have to ask this question. I mean, a lot of people in the room know that I am a big sports fan. Can you say the word like Michigan Wolverines? Or do you say <laughs> the team up north? I, You know, there was a time in my life when I was an angrier, younger man when, when that rivalry really, you know. But after, what, roughly 16 years of losing one time, I mean <laughs> – uh, I can say Michigan, and in fact, I'm rooting for them to 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 do better. I mean, it helps the Big Ten out, right? Uh, the Ohio State rivalry is nothing without Michigan actually being good. So, wow, that's that's uh, impressive. I now that they can pay their players over the table. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there uh, was. They something have a, coming, that yeah. university has a very large uh, endowment of money. They're, they'll they'll be able to to come back. All I right, think, I so. like that. I like that. Um, so I, I have to ask this question, economist. Are you, are you like 15 years old? Are you in high school thinking, I can't wait to get out of high school because I'm going to go to college and become an economist? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I knew I wanted to go to college. Okay. Uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I, I had a list of five or six different things I wanted to try, which my parents did not like when I said, well, I'm just going to try these different <laughs> things while you pay for me to sit in college classes. Uh, at least I took an in-state school, so it was a little more affordable. Yeah. Uh, but no, I explored all kinds of things. I, I came in and I declared as a biochemistry major. Um, 
And uh, I had been good at math and science, uh, and my teachers encouraged me to go in that direction. That was what I was interested in at the time. My problem is, is that my interests can tend to bounce around quite a bit. Sure. Uh, so I lasted a quarter uh, in that major. <laughs> I took all the basic core courses, and I said, you know what? My brother did really well doing business, and he's in marketing. Why don't I try that? And then I realized I don't have my brother's personality or mindset. Uh, so I did take the core business curriculum at Ohio State, and that was key because that's where I got my first economics course. All right. uh, and then I bounced over to architecture because why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> uh, that I found was very interesting. A lot of people think architecture is, is uh, part engineering, part art, but if you actually take curriculum, it's, it's mostly art. It's not that much engineering. And yeah. my, my instructor looked at what I was working on, and I was doing something where – I'm designing this uh, this structure that uh, is playing with the platonic solids developed by the Greeks, um, like uh, and uh, yeah, shapes, trigonometry, stuff like that. And, and she <laughs> and she looks at me and goes, "I think you should probably do something related to working with numbers." So. I took that hint yeah. and I went yeah. uh, and I said, you know, I'm going to try economics. That seems really cool. It's a mix of science and the business uh, and, and, and it's, a, it's a social science. So it's really a, a very interesting topic. And not only that, it covers so many things that I can never get bored. Yeah. So that's what really led me into that major. And that something there just really clicked for me. And, uh, and I actually got a part-time job working in the Department of Economics at Ohio State, and that's where I met all the professors and faculty, and, and they really inspired me to, to go on and, and get a graduate degree in economics. So I owe a lot to them. Somewhere in this, uh, in this space, in this timeline for you, Brad, we have to get you into Florida and a doctorate from Florida State. So what happened there? Well, actually... What I was just talking about with the, the, the faculty there at, at Ohio State, um, and I started talking to them about, I want to do what you guys do. You guys you know, have the awesomest job in the world, and, and I want to be an economics professor. So a couple of them sat down to work with me on, on figuring out how to get me into a graduate school. There's only about 150 PhD programs in economics in the country, and they're ultra-competitive. Uh, they get hundreds of applications each and not just from inside the U.S., but actually most of the applications come from outside the U.S. There's a ton of international students uh, in that field. So you've got to compete with all of those. So the way to get into an economics grad school, besides doing well in college, is to just apply to as many schools as you can. <laughs> so, so I applied to like 20 schools. I got into a few, and then from the, the ones I got into, Florida State was on the list. Uh, they had the best package for me, I think, just looking at uh, what the faculty there were, were studying, the kind of research they were doing. They had a phenomenal uh, real estate economist on staff uh, who I thought, you know, maybe I might want to work under him for some uh, future project and maybe my dissertation. And so I went with that. Awesome. And and you end up connecting, and it was, we had a conversation about this, you end up connecting in a really weird way with Florida Realtors. So let's talk about that. And then, and then trust me, we're going to get to some of the good stuff you're waiting for. But I'd love to find out these stories. So you have to wait a second. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, well, a few years into the PhD program, I'm done with all my coursework. I'm just trying to finish my dissertation. Um, accidentally fell in love with one of my classmates. And we had, uh, and we, uh, we eventually had our first child. Uh, we now have four. So that's why I look so tired. Uh, <laughs> But our, our first child and uh, my wife 
liked economics. She was in the same program as me, but she's more practical than me uh, and was in a more of a hurry than me. So <laughs> she didn't even wait to graduate before she got a job down here at Disney in Orlando. Um, and a very good job at that. So I came down with her and, and our daughter, Daphne, and, and we, uh, we finished our degrees remotely while we were both working. I, I latched on at Disney. It was nice to have an income. When you're a, when you're a graduate student, you get a stipend of $15,000 a year or so. So it was nice to have a little step up in, in income and not have to take out all those student loans. Uh, so we're down here. Only problem for me is if she's going to stay at Disney, uh, I'm not going to be a college professor because to to get that kind of job, you have to do a national job search. You you can't just go to your local college and say, "Hey, here I am, uh, take me." It, it's yeah. it's a really arduous process to get into that field. So I I said, "Okay, I'll stay at Disney. This is actually kind of fun. What I'm doing." Um, but then I get an email. I get an email from my dissertation advisor up in Tallahassee, uh, Keith Islandfelt, and. Email says, hey, the Florida Association of Realtors is looking for an economist. So uh, I didn't really cover it, but but my, my field of expertise ended up being real estate and urban economics uh, in at FSU. So, so housing was my field. I had been working with housing data for the last three or four years, part of my dissertation. Uh, and so I, I couldn't believe, you know, that there was an opening for a, not only an economist in Orlando, but one that specializes where I do. Yeah. So uh, they had been building the research department up. Uh, it had been uh, developed by the, uh, by the association uh, as a new department. And they had found a former NAR chief economist, John Tassillo, who happened to be semi-retired over in Sarasota, who, was, who offered to help build the department. So I got to interview with John, and he hired me, and he ended up being our first chief economist. So yeah. worked under him, and this was back in 2011. So it's, we just celebrated our 10-year research department anniversary. 10 years. You've been the chief economist now for almost six years. Is that about right? Since yeah, 2016, beginning of 2016, okay, so great. five. So let's, let's, uh, let's get down to business. Sure. Um, it's March 20th, 2020. <laughs> Everybody remember March 20th, 2020 in this room? Yeah. What, what was the feeling in the room <laughs> at, at Florida Realtors? What, what were you thinking was going to happen? Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, let's backtrack a little bit. We, you know, coming into 2019, actually everything looked, or 2020, everything yeah. looked quite good. End of 2019, early 2020, uh, no, I know talking to some of you folks when I was out making the rounds, talking around the state, a lot of you were saying, we're having an unusually good winter buying season, just leading into the spring buying season, especially down in places like Southwest Florida, where you have a, you know, a, a lot of activity down there in the, in the mm-hmm. condo market and the beach market. Just really like some of the most positive stuff I've ever heard from anybody. So uh, the numbers started to show that the the sales in January and February were record level sales, and yep. and even in March because closing still went through, but. Uh, we had good sales, but that's when contracts started to dip and new listings started to dip. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't entirely unprepared uh, for the pandemic in that I have to say uh, it, I can't give any credit to myself, but my wife started seeing news about the pandemic in China on social media and just kind of developed an interest in it and was watching it and started nudging me saying, hey, pay attention to this because... I was seeing it in the news, but I wasn't really paying attention to it like a lot of us. And, and 
she hit me really hard on the arm and said, no, pay attention to it. So, you know, that's, that's more nudging than I usually need to get for my wife to know I need to listen to her. But uh, I started looking into it and I said, oh my gosh, yeah, the, this is different than the past pandemics we've had recently. This could spread everywhere. So uh, we had a little bit of a head start in getting ready to, uh, to figure out what's going to happen to our economy. Uh, what ended up being our assessment is that prices were actually going to be stable through the early part of of the uh, pandemic, and fortunately, we were right about that. We we thought if demand drops because no one's going to want to go out looking for a house now, there's a pandemic, no one knows what's going on, we don't know what our job security is right now, all that stuff, then we're going to see a massive drop in demand, but we're also going to see a massive drop in supply at the same time. As an economist, you, you, would, you would be able to instantly deduce, well, that's going to have an ambiguous effect on price. Right. So we thought prices would remain stable, and that's exactly what happened. What we didn't call very well was how fast we would recover. That was, I wasn't thinking July we would be way up year over year in July 2020 in terms of sales. Right. So this market came roaring back, and Florida was at the forefront nationally. Yeah. You know, I read something recently. There, there was some, there was, this housing shortage that we're we're experiencing now, right? The the low inventory, uh, the buyers struggling with multiple offers, started a lot further back than the pandemic, right? I mean, um, historically, builders have always built more properties decade over decade, but from 2010 to 2018, builders had been way down on on building new product, and so that really kind of acerbated what we're talking about today, right? That's absolutely, yeah. Every real estate economist has the chart of the building permits and the new construction that you can see over over time. Look, beginning in 2000, ramping up to 2005 and 6, uh, there was just a ridiculous amount of home building in Florida and elsewhere in the United States relative to what we would normally see. It definitely outpaced the rate of population growth. Remember, it at that time, the... Uh, the generation coming into their prime home buying years was Generation X. Generation X is smaller than the one that preceded it, the boomers. So you've got boomers occupying a lot of the housing stock and then a smaller generation coming in to take over. That should have put downward pressure on prices uh, and caused us to maybe hold off on building a little too much. The opposite happened. We built way too many homes. Uh, uh, everyone got caught up in this idea that home prices are going to go up forever and you know this is free money. And... Yeah. and uh, so that happens. Then we have the collapse. We lose a lot of builders who go out of business. We have a few you know, remaining. The larger ones weather the storm a little better. And now they're ultra-conservative in how much they're going to build. They're, they've been chastened by the whole thing, and I, I would guess. And, the, and also, as time goes on, just every year, data and, and information get better and better. I think they're just able to plan better now. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, the... Uh, they haven't been able to keep up with the rate of population growth. I think all the extra housing they built in the last housing cycle that was way over what we needed was absorbed probably by 2013. Mm. So uh, since then, they've slowly been building more each year, but it's not up to the rate we need it. That's just making housing more scarce compared to how many people we have. Now we have the millennials coming into their prime home buying years. They're bigger than Generation X, and when all said and done, they'll be bigger than the boomers were. So... Uh, just a just a complete opposite scenario there, yeah. uh, and that's been happening for you know, our month supply of inventory. We like to say five or six months supply of inventory is a balanced market. 
we've been below five for several years leading into the pandemic. It wasn't just the pan the pandemic really made it a lot worse, but we had a shortage before that. Right. The you know my what economists get asked this kind of question all of these questions all the time. How long before the builders catch up? <laughs> I, it, I can only say in terms of years. Uh, okay. Now we we a lot of the attention has gone lately to the lumber prices, right? That have just skyrocketed. If you look at a chart of that, it's it, it's crazy. Uh, they tripled at some point, um, and I, I think recently they've come back down a little bit. But like we were just discussing, there were issues with their ability to supply housing before there was a lumber shortage. So even if we completely get rid of that, we're still in the same situation. Yeah. Uh, we had about 700,000 construction workers in Florida at the beginning of the Great Recession, and by the end, we had half that, 350,000. We've never actually gotten back up to the level of construction employment that we had before. Uh, so the labor shortage, I think, in construction is uh, one of the key contributors, and that's been a persistent problem for the industry going back several years. I know going out locally to several of your counties, I've, 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 talk to contractor groups and and they've got local uh, government involved in uh, trying to do vocational programs for kids to get them interested in getting into this kind of work because we lost a whole generation of construction workers. Uh, so even if we've got newbies coming in, the generation that was supposed to train them is really depleted. Yeah. Uh, so we're missing a lot of skilled labor uh, in, in addition to just overall labor. So that's that's a cost issue. You're just going to have to pay more to incentivize, especially, you know, American kids these days just don't think of it as a glamorous type of job. But, uh, you know, you can you know, there used to be a day when when work like that, uh, you could make a good living doing it. So we'll see what happens there. But but right now that's a constraint. And then the th other things the builders always complain about and rightfully so in most cases, land use regulations, just the overall lack of land. Right. Population, our population isn't getting smaller, so uh, there's a limited amount of land. So that's the long-term uh, uh, supply constraint we've got. Uh, we have to deal with and just figure out how to live with uh, over time. Yeah. Um, on, the, on the surface, just looking at what home prices are doing in the last, let's say, year, mm -hmm. it feels <laughs> eerily similar <laughs> to 2005 and six when I was in the title business and we couldn't keep up. Uh, is it the same? Is there a difference? Well, I mean, on a year-over-year -year basis, at least, the, the median sale price that Florida Realtors has reported for a single-family or condo, it doesn't matter, uh, across the state. The statewide median sale price has not been down on a year-over-year -year basis since at least 2011. So uh, that's well over 100 months uh, straight where home prices have been rising. So the, the bubble question is... It's not just the pandemic era when I was getting that question. I've been getting it the whole time, okay. the whole recovery. Uh, but yeah, I've been hearing it a lot more. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll say this, uh, prices are rising very fast. And, and, and if you've noticed that it looks a lot like the, the price chart did, uh, 10 to 15 years ago, then you'd be absolutely right. Uh, but you got to dig a little deeper into why that's happening. Prices don't always rise for the same reasons. And so this time, uh, we have a lot of things that are different that are resulting in the same result, prices rising quickly, but have different causes. I just touched on one of them. That would be uh, the construction issue, right? We have very low supply of new homes right now. That's the opposite problem that we had before. Mm -hmm. 
But when you have a low supply of something, it's sca- relatively scarce, then you have more buyers per item that you want to you want to sell. So in that respect, that drives up prices when you have restricted supply. At the same time, we have very high demand, which we also had last time. Uh, but there's a different reason behind it. During the housing bubble cycle, as I just said, it didn't make sense demographically that we were seeing all this demand because Generation X was smaller than the boomers. Uh, so what generated all that demand for housing? It wasn't super low interest rates. I mean, they, were, they weren't super high. They weren't 1980s level, but they weren't incredibly low either. Uh, it happened to just be what we call an asset bubble. It happens in the stock market. It happens uh, in the housing market, apparently, because it certainly did. So it was just a cycle that feeds on itself where people got irrationally excited about where the market can go. And we started to see a lot of flipping and speculation and that people perceived to be low risk because they thought home prices were going to go up forever. And of course, that didn't happen. So when when demand disappeared, because that kind of demand can just evaporate overnight, as soon as everyone figures out, uh-oh, uh, maybe these things don't go up forever, everyone can flock out of the market at once. And when that happens, and you have that oversupply of, of building we had, we had very few buyers, lots of homes to sell, and then on top of that, people started to foreclose and add to that inventory and make it even worse. So that's why prices were able to fall so far. You had very few buyers, a lot of houses. This time, demand is grounded in demographics. The millennials are bigger than the previous generations. There's a lot of pressure from them, on especially the lower-priced tier housing. Uh, you have the pandemic causing a change in our preferences. That's another way demand can shift. Uh, and the, the pandemic, I think, I've observed largely, has resulted in people's preferences changing towards wanting to live near the beach or away from their office up north if they can get away. So the work-from-home thing is in play. Uh, and even, even if you're not planning to relocate here, a lot of people from the north came down to buy second homes, so they have a place to chill out. Uh, because now we can get away with being away from our offices a little bit more, even if we can't fully move away from where we're based. Uh, it'd be nice to have a place down in Florida. Uh, so a lot of demand generated by that. All of us wanting more space now that we've been trapped in our homes for so many days, uh, we would probably like to have a little bit more space. So it's really changed uh, preferences. That's generated a lot of demand on top of the demographic shift. And then the interest rates. The interest rate's probably the biggest one. Uh, falling to record low levels. Uh, that certainly uh, lit a spark on the demand side. So all this demand, it's a little bit of a safer kind of demand because unlike where we just have this speculative bubble and we expect prices to go up forever and that's the reason why we're buying a house, instead now it's, uh, you know, we need a house because we want to form a household, we're millennials, or uh, our preferences have changed and we want to get in on the Florida market right now. Uh, where we'd like to spend more time. We want to actually use our property or maybe, uh, you know, rents are going to be rebounding. So if you're an investor, investors are moving uh, more for income properties right now than they are for flipping, uh, monitoring flipping, because that's a dangerous thing to see in the market. And we're not seeing the levels of flipping we were. Nice. So you, you've got all these demand factors that, that they don't all disappear overnight, especially the demogra- demographics one. The right. interest rates are going to rise, but slowly. So, okay. uh, that, that's going to protect us. And, if, and even if demand really dropped, 
you've got that uh, floor of low supply that the shortage actually benefits us there. Because then if demand dies out a little bit, we still have a lack of housing, so it doesn't really throw prices out of whack. Right. I'll ask you the question that uh, you've, you've heard a million times. <laughs> what, what do you see in the next five years? Well, right, I know this room is interested in that answer. Right now, I, I, you know, in the data, just looking at it carefully, I, I've, and I'm sure all of you who look at your own local data have probably seen this pattern already in the last couple months where uh, we kind of seem to have reached a peak of how frenetic the market is going to be. And uh, that inventory has stopped falling for the most in most areas. Uh, it's not like it's going to shoot right back up. It's kind of flat, it's curling up a little bit if you look on the chart. But it, it's it's a it's a very modest gain. But at least it's not free falling like it was. And you see that in the other stats too. You see the median time on market is still like what ten days instead of eight last month or something like that. So. Uh, it's still very low, but it's going in the right direction now to get back to more of a balance. Uh, I, I would assume that a lot of you who are working with uh, sellers are probably seeing, you know, still multiple bids in a lot of cases, but maybe not as many. Uh, <laughs> maybe a drop from 30 to 15 or something like that. And so we're, we're moving in the right direction. Um, now the interest rates are kind of, you know, they're, they're wiggling around a little bit, but they're not dropping like they were last year. Uh, so we're not getting the benefit of that uh, in the market. And so as prices continue to rise as fast as they are, uh, without the mortgage rate falling, then that, that's just housing become, becoming less affordable. And, and, and some of the buyers from month to month are just going to have to peel out the higher, the higher those prices get. So, so it's a gradual tapering of activity as the rate of growth in prices slows down and we start to just normalize a little bit. And I think so, so we just start to, I, I just think over the next two years, we, we are converging back to a normal statistical pattern that you'd find in terms of how the housing market is operating. I don't see us uh, having abrupt shifts or anything like that. I feel like it's just a tapering. Right. Hard for me to put, a number or, you know, on specifically how many months does this take to get back to normal? Um, but, you know, I would expect over the rest of the year, uh, we, we kind of converge towards what we would normally see uh, in like what we saw in 2018 and 2019, a few, little fewer sales. Prices will remain elevated, but the rate at which they're growing is going to slow down. Right. Brad, it's, uh, it's time for me to wrap this up, and I do it the same way every time. And all 291 guests now have answered the same question, and that's what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, here's, the, here's the amazing thing. I, I tell groups all the time when I speak to them that I usually learn more from you than you do from me. Um, I've got, what, a fancy degree and, and title that comes with it, but all that means is that I spent most of my 20s avoiding the real world, whereas all of you were out there actually experiencing it. So, so I learn a lot more from you about the business and what's going on on the ground than you do from me. I think my statistics that my team and I can provide you will, will confirm a lot of what you're seeing and maybe, maybe make you feel better about judgments you're making about what you're seeing on the ground. But at the same time, I rely on a lot of you uh, just to just to get the experience. So, um, you know, my advice to agents would be, uh, you know, I'm not the best qualified person to give that because I couldn't do what most of you do. Uh, you guys are amazing. So I guess if I had to say with relation to statistics, um, you know, what we found is uh, that 
a lot of agents have benefited from using not just Florida Realtors material, but if your local association or your brokerage or anybody has statistics, it, it does help you out a lot to actually try to uh, start understanding how to use those when you're working with your clients. And I know Florida Realtors, we offer uh, continuing education courses, and there's, there's other resources you can use. Um, but uh, if it seems daunting, don't worry. You don't get there overnight. People ask me, hey, how do I do what you do, Brad? And I'm like, you know, besides going to grad school for eight years, and, and no, <laughs> uh, the best thing you can do is read. Read a lot. Read a lot. Of, read the news. We have Florida Realtors sends out a newsletter every morning. Uh, read that. I do it. It helps me. And uh, if you read enough, read enough just articles about you know what are these numbers doing or what's going on in your market. You become really smart uh, if you just take a few minutes to do that. Over time, and you gradually learn how to interpret the statistics by doing that when you read just the releases on on what the statistics are. So that's one way to get started. Um, and don't try to get there overnight. You're not going to. But um, understanding statistics can be a really useful tool in your arsenal uh, when you go out there and work with clients. Brad, if uh, someone in this room would like to reach out to you, can we get your cell number? <laughs> <laughs> My jail cell number? Or, uh, <laughs> The best way, <laughs> frankly, the, the best, best way, yeah. the best way to reach me is I, I screen all my calls. Uh, <laughs> Probably going to be your email address. No, how about that? Is my email address because I look at that obsessively. Uh, so Brad O at FloridaRealtors.org. Um, if it's something you want a qu even quicker answer uh, for, email research at FloridaRealtors.org. I'll get that email too. But so will my three teammates. We're also extremely smart people. So. Um, in fact, also, actually, they're smarter than me. So uh, in most cases, uh, that is the best way to reach me is just to say, you know, uh, email research at floridarealtors.org. Brad, thank you so much for your time today. What do you think, guys? Is that the <laughs> thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to the Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Thank you.